The first lesson this morning is Psalm 104 and can be found on page 599 of your Pew Bible. So Psalm 104, and it's the entire psalm. That's right. Yes, to verse 35. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendour and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. It's, he stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labour until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. The second lesson is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, and can be found on page 1161 of the New Testament section of your Bible. So that's page 1161. It's 2 Corinthians 8, starting at verse 1. And the reading goes to just 1 to uh, verse 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Good morning, everyone. Um, before I begin on that uh, passage, I want to do some shameless advertising for our Bible study, if I might. Um, our Bible study uh, used to meet on Tuesday nights, it's still doing that. It uh, used to meet every three weeks, three weeks on, three weeks off, and that was in line with the bands. And I found it extremely confusing. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but it was very confusing to my small mind. Um, and we're not doing that anymore. We're now meeting week on, week off. So that's the good news. Still Tuesday night, week on, week off, and we'd love a few more members. Um, not that we don't like the members we've got. We're really very happy with our little group, but, um, but we'd love you to come and join us if you'd like. So, and I just thought, while well, none of the other Bible study leaders are here, this is my opportunity when I've got the, uh, the lectern to uh, plunder people from the other groups. So there you go. Shh, don't tell. Okay, let's pray. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, uh, both chapters today. It's a fairly big section. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us and we thank you for your word. 
uh, we want to pray that you'd give us wisdom as we look at this passage this morning, an important passage about an important subject that we don't often like to talk about. But we pray today that you would um, help us to do that and to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you might find the outline is useful today. There are quite a few points in this sermon. Uh, we'll go through them fairly quickly, but it will give you a sense of movement to see that we're moving through them quickly, uh, given we're looking at two uh, chapters, chapter 8 and 9. Now I wonder what goes through your mind when the collection is announced on Sunday morning. Perhaps you've uh, given prior thought to it. Uh, Perhaps you're one of those people who uses internet banking and so you don't have to worry, you just pass the bag on to the next person. But maybe as you do that, you think, I hope that person doesn't think I'm not giving anything to the church, you know, that I'm just being a stingy person. Uh, Maybe you use envelopes and you've thought about what you wanted to give and you've put it aside and it's ready to go and you just pop it in. Perhaps you haven't given it any thought Um, and when it's announced you go reaching into your pocket to see what's there and you know there's a little bit of shrapnel and so you throw that into the bag, a couple of coins or perhaps you open up your wallet and you see a moth and a $5 note and a $20 note and a $50 note, can't really get get the give the moth away he's flown away anyway and you think to yourself well the 50 is too much but the five is too little and so perhaps I'll put the 20 dollars in maybe as you open up your wallet there isn't any money there and you make a mental note that you really do need to stop at the automatic teller next week and get some but you made the same mental note last week and it didn't seem to help because perhaps giving to the church is not really that big a priority All sorts of things go through our minds when the collection is announced. All sorts of things go through our minds when the subject of money comes up. And perhaps as I speak about it in this fairly confronting way, you're feeling a little bit comfortable and maybe even a little bit annoyed because it seems somehow inappropriate to be speaking so directly about such a personal matter. Certainly that's the way the people in my mother's church felt when the interim minister spoke about this subject recently. Uh, The previous minister had left the church because they didn't have enough money to pay him. And so the interim minister thought it was probably not a bad idea to raise the subject of money and giving, and so he did. And I was speaking to my mum and she said it didn't go down all that well. Uh, because people thought it was inappropriate to speak about money when everyone was working so hard to, uh, to make sure the church remained solvent. Now, I'm not quite sure where she stood uh, in that chorus, but I said to her, Mum, don't you think it's entirely appropriate to talk about money when the church is threatening to close its doors for lack of it? Uh, it seems like an entirely appropriate time to do so, I would have thought. But people have very different levels of sensitivity when it comes to speaking about money, don't they? But whereas we may have all sorts of hang-ups about it, Paul didn't. In fact, in his letters, he speaks about it quite often. And he speaks about it at length to the Corinthians in these two chapters that I want to look at this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Now before we look at the details of this passage, it's important in this passage to kind of orient ourselves to what's going on here. Uh, What's the situation that Paul is addressing? 
And these chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, revolve around a collection that Paul is getting together to help the church in Jerusalem. He firstly wanted to help them out because they were suffering from a bad famine that had gripped the region. And in that way, I guess his collection's a little bit like lots of collections that have been taken up recently for those who have been victims of the fires. And people have been very generous, haven't they, which is great um, for, towards people who have lost their homes, everything in some cases. And Paul was hoping similarly that other Christians would be generous in supporting their brothers and sisters in need. But secondly, Paul also wants to strengthen the unity that exists between the Gentile churches that he had been founding in his missionary journeys and the, the kind of mothership, the predominantly Jewish church back in Jerusalem. He thought it was important to, to kind of build some solidarity between those two branches of the church. And this, uh, this fund was meant to go some way to achieving that. So that's the first thing. Uh, but he's also uh, writing this letter from Macedonia. And the response of the Macedonians to his collection has been nothing short of overwhelming. If you look at the opening verses of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, he says that. He says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now it's an amazing picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture that Paul paints here of the Macedonians virtually pleading with Paul to be able to give more money to those in need. They didn't have a lot themselves. It seems in verse 1, they were going through difficulties of their own. But their joy and their poverty strangely combined in this well of generosity. They didn't have much, but what they had was God's. And they wanted to support others in need if they could. Now, I wonder if you've ever found yourself hit by this giving bug that the Macedonians were hit by? Have you ever found yourself you know, begging someone to take your last $10 because they need it more than you? We're often struck by that bug, are we? But it seems reading between the lines uh, that uh, the Macedonians were, but perhaps the Corinthians were not. Because Paul goes on to talk about and encourage them to finish the work that they had begun. If you look in uh, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 8, he goes on and says this. He says, And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So it seems that reading between the lines, the Corinthians were the first to pledge to give. When the telephone line, uh, telephone line opened, they were the first to ring in and to, you know, to give their amount of money, to pledge that they'd give it. I guess similar to what we did with the, the roof recently. You know, we had that 
picture up the back and everybody kind of you know, filled in their things. Uh, they were eager to do that. They, they, they went for it. They filled in lots of them. But when it came time to actually give the money, they went bush, couldn't, couldn't be found. And so Paul is saying, complete what you've started. Uh, be willing to give what you've said you were going to give. Now, the fourth thing that comes out in these chapters is the pick-up arrangements for this collection. Uh, Paul is very eager to make sure here that the collection is handled with care so as to not leave any hint of accusation that someone had pocketed the money for themselves or done something inappropriate with it. And so if you look in verse 16 of chapter 8, he says, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to, to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So Paul is making sure that there are several people carrying the collection. In fact, his method seems to be that each of the churches that contributed would send someone along on this journey to Jerusalem uh, to take the money so that everybody knew that the right thing was being done. And that's important, isn't it, when it comes to money? It's important, for example, when our collections are, are counted here at church, that there are always two people. Uh, that is done to protect your money from being misused, to protect those who handle the finances from any allegation of misuse and to ensure that no scandal relating to money detracts from the glory of God. So it is this collection with, which Paul is, is taking up uh, for, the, for the Jerusalem church that provides the catalyst for these two very important chapters about giving. But having oriented ourselves to these chapters and to what's going on here, what are some of the lessons that Paul kind of puts out there in this discussion of giving that we can learn from? Well, the first thing is that giving is a matter of liberty. Uh, if you look in chapter 8 and verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul's not commanding the Corinthians to give. He doesn't want them to act out of compulsion or guilt or with a view to what other people might think. There's not any fixed amount that they ought to be giving that God requires. In the Old Testament, there was. The Old Testament believers were required to offer a tithe, a tenth of what they were given to the Lord's work. But tithing is not commanded in the New Testament. In the New Testament, giving is commended as a matter of the heart. And so if you look over to chapter 9 and verse 7, Paul says there, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So what we give is not a matter of law. I'm commanded to give a tenth and so I do. It's not that. It's not done with an eye to others, you know, if uh, what pe other people might think about us. No, it's a matter of the heart. 
something we need to work out with God in prayer. Now, it may be that the tithe is a, is a good starting point. It's not a bad one to, to kind of gauge what we ought to be giving from. But for some people, a tenth of their income may be too much. For others, it might be too little. But what we have is a matter of liberty here. It's a matter we need to decide before God through prayer and to do it with a good heart. So that's the first thing Paul says. Secondly, he says, giving is a test of sincerity. Um, and, and of our love of Jesus. So if you look in verse 8 again, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. See, at least one test of whether we think the work of the gospel is important is how much of our money we're prepared to give to support it. And one test of whether we're really committed and love one another here in this congregation is whether we're prepared to support one another uh, by spending our money on one another. See, in this passage, Paul is asking the Corinthians to compare themselves with the Macedonians. The Macedonians didn't have much, but they pleaded with, with uh, God to be able to give to Paul's collection until it hurt. Why? Well, the answer's there in verses 4 and 5. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did so not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. The reason the Macedonians gave their money is because they first gave themselves. Their sincere love displayed itself in a well of generosity. And the same will be true of us. Now, as far as I can tell, this congregation is a very generous congregation. In the years that we have been here, uh, whenever a need has been made known and put to the congregation, it has always been supported generously and lovingly. But, friends, we must not rest on our laurels, must we? Not as a congregation, nor as individuals. Paul says to the Corinthians in verse 7, But just as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So are we doing that? Are we excelling in this grace of giving? That's a test of our sincerity, Paul says. Thirdly, uh, Paul says that our giving is to be a is, if it's to be a reflection of our sincerity, needs to be done cheerfully. So if you turn over to chapter 9 and verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what Paul's saying here is it's better to give $5 happily than $100 grudgingly. God is not impressed by us giving lots away if we do it with a bad attitude. Now, if the plate comes by and we put that $100 in and under our breath say, now bless me, you know, I've given you my money. That's not, that's not the kind of attitude that we ought to have, is it? I mean, how do you think your wife would feel uh, if you came home one afternoon with a lovely bunch of roses, you know, beautiful, wrapped up, and you gave them to her and you said, you say I never buy you flowers, well, here are some flowers, now stop whinging. 
She's not going to be that impressed by that, is she, if you do that? Uh, She won't be touched by that. See, attitude is everything. Decide what you're going to give, consider it prayerfully in your heart, and then give it cheerfully. But Paul does want to encourage us not to be stingy, but instead to be generous. He wants to encourage us through the example of the Macedonians, which we've seen already, whose poverty welled up in a rich generosity, but even more importantly, through the example of Jesus. And so he says there in chapter 8, verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, at the heart of the Christian faith is an act of extreme generosity and love on God's part. The Lord Jesus Christ left the riches of heaven. He emptied himself of his deity and he stepped into our fallen world and went to the cross bearing our sin and our shame. He was rich, but for us he became poor so that we could be made rich through him, so that our sin could be forgiven, our relationship with God restored, our hearts made new and given the hope of heaven. It is incredible generosity on God's part, isn't it? And if our hearts have been truly touched by God's grace in Christ, then it should result in a desire to be generous to others, in a desire to support the work of the gospel sacrificially, so that others can know that relationship that we know. So these are the questions Paul puts us. Are you cheerful in your giving? Are you generous in it? Does your attitude in giving reflect your true thanks to God for his grace to you? These are important questions for us to consider, aren't they? And we should especially consider them given what Paul says here the benefits that come to us when we give. That's the fourth point there. Generosity provides an opening for God's grace. I think appeals to giving fall into one of two errors generally. Firstly, we can appeal to people's greed. You know, when the narrative goes like this, and you may have heard it if you've been to certain churches, and I don't know what Churches, there are plenty of churches where you might hear this. You know, you, you can't outgive God. If you are generous, then God will bless you. Now, of course, there's some truth in that. But if our giving grows out of a desire to be blessed by God in turn, there's something wrong with the motivation, isn't there? That's not a correct motivation. On the other hand, we can make giving sound like such a sacrifice, such a burden, such a cost that nobody wants to give. Now, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Sure, giving is costly, but there are significant returns and they are not necessarily monetary returns. They are, in fact, riches of far greater value. And Paul highlights them here. Uh, If you look in uh, chapter 9 and verse 8, He says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So Paul's saying if we are generous, cheerful givers, God will give back to us an abundant store of grace. 
Now, I don't think he's talking about money there. He's talking about growing in godliness, abounding in the fruit of the Spirit, having the Spirit fill us and control us so that we give more and more to God's work in in lots of different ways. But he goes on to say, not only will we grow in grace, we'll also grow in righteousness. So verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, Paul's saying as we spread our wealth around, and the image he uses is of sowing seed, as we sow our wealth so that it grows in other people's lives, so God will give us a harvest of righteousness in our lives. We'll be made rich so that we can continue to be generous. That's what God wants of us, isn't it? To, to bless us so that we can bless others. Not just with our money. Some of us don't have a lot of that. Some of us have a lot of it. Not just with money, but with time, energy, our gifts, our talents. Now, the next two benefits Paul mentions are there in verses 12 and 14, or 12 to 14 of chapter 9. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your profession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So when you are generous, Paul's saying... People will praise God because of you. When I was about six years old, my dad became very ill with cancer. And it was a very prolonged illness. It was back in 1967 or so, and so the means of um, treatment were quite crude. He couldn't work for a long time. And mum was busy looking after both him and three little children. I was the oldest. My sisters were younger. One of them was a baby. And in the course of that illness, all of our savings were used up. We had nothing. And for some weeks, we survived on the food that our next-door neighbours brought us from the Salvation Army. We praised God for them. We praised God for them. They were our lifeline. And when we are similarly generous, God will be praised because of us. But not only will they praise God, they will also be praying for you. He goes on to say that, doesn't he? And that's a great thought, isn't it? That the people who you help are praising God because of you and praying for you as a result of your generosity. Paul is saying that our money can achieve all of this spiritual good if, if we're generous with it. If we're generous, cheerful givers. It's a helpful perspective, isn't it? All too often I think we're warned about the danger of money, the fact that it can be an alternative God, that it can be the root of all sorts of evil if we lust after it and seek to accumulate it to ourselves. And we do need to hear those warnings. Money can be a trap. Many people in the pursuit of money and worldly interests have lost their faith. 
But if it's used well, it can be a source of great blessing. Great blessing to others as we support gospel ministry and help those in need. And great benefit to us as we receive the harvest of grace and righteousness and the benefit of the prayer of those who are praising God because of us. We don't like to talk a lot about money, but we need to. We need to for our own good and for our own growth in godliness. And so I want to leave you with the challenge that Paul left the Corinthians. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Well, let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this uh, passage from your word. We thank you that you address us directly on matters that we don't always talk about or like to talk about. We know that the subject of money can be an uncomfortable subject for us to think about, but you do address it here, and so we pray that you would give us ears to listen and hearts to obey in the way that we should. Help us not to be lovers of money, but to be people who use it well, who make it their servant rather than serve it. And we pray, Father, that the way in which we use money might be a blessing to you and to others and to us as people praise us for the way in which we bless them through what you've given to us. We thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave up his riches so that we might be rich instead. And we pray that we might take on his generous attitude in our attitude to money. Amen.